By September this year, there have been about 2,000 COVID cases and 500 deaths in residential aged care, which accounts for 70% of Australia's COVID death toll. At the same time, we've heard some absolute horror stories out of the Royal Commission into Aged Care Equality and Safety that include a lack of dignity, neglect, abuse, and the inappropriate use of chemical and physical restraints. And yet, as painful as it is to say, there have been a multitude of reports and proposed reforms into aged care through the years that have gone ignored. I'm Kat Clay, the Head of Digital Communications, and here to discuss her important latest report, Rethinking Aged Care, emphasising the rights of older Australians, is Annika Stobart, who is an associate with Grattan's Health Programme. Welcome, Annika. Hi, Kat. So firstly, how did aged care get into this mess? Yes, a mess is probably the right word to use here, and the aged care system has long been in a mess. In fact, with COVID-19 and the recent Royal Commission, as you point out, really just exposing once again the failures of the system. So the evolution of the aged care system has really been one of piecemeal incremental change and has not been driven by an underlying objective that primarily focuses on the outcomes sought in the systems, such, such as to ensure Australians can have a quality life in old age. Instead, the overriding approach, and still dominating today, is one where the policy focus has really been on the relationship between government and service providers, i.e. how much money the government should allocate to those providing services. So this has really created a provider-centric system. And over the last 20 years in particular, there has also been an ideological shift towards more privatisation and marketisation. This started with a new Aged Care Act in 1997 during the Howard era, which streamlined residential aged care. And then there were further reforms again in 2012, which were addressed at streamlining home care. These reforms led to a more marketised approach to aged care and reduced regulation on providers. So aged care providers are not held to stringent quality standards or staffing requirements. The funding models are are cost-constrained and allow providers to leech money away from care, and there is also a total lack of transparency. While some aged care providers give high-quality support to older Australians, many are not up to standard. So these reforms I mentioned also led to then increased uh, for-profit providers flooding into the system, particularly in home care, and also led to larger-scale residential facilities. Now we have about 60% of residential facilities with more than 60 beds. So this has resulted now in a system today where some of our most vulnerable people in the community are being faced with limited information and choice about service options, barriers to access, and there's no guarantee that service quality will be to a high standard. Thanks, Annika. And I'm looking forward to discussing a little bit more about your recommendations later, which will get into um, restoring some of those rights back to um, people in aged care and older Australians. But I'd be remiss in not discussing the impact of COVID-19 on aged care. Could we have reduced the deaths in aged care from COVID and how? Yes, the disproportionate deaths in residential aged care has been really tragic. Uh, It is, of course, inevitable in a pandemic that when COVID-19 is in a community, it will also impact aged care. But Australia has a high rate of deaths in residential aged care compared to other countries. 
And our poor system and lack of preparedness certainly didn't help. I'll break it into two parts. So COVID-19 exposed existing problems in the aged care system. So the preconditions of having this poorly regulated and managed system I mentioned earlier contributed or exacerbated the spread and also meant that it wasn't managed well once it was in a facility. So, for example, COVID-19 has primarily spread through aged care workers, many of whom are underpaid and often in insecure roles or work across multiple facilities. And it is difficult to manage an infectious disease emergency if there are a few unskilled staff available. And then the second part of this is that the death toll may not have been as bad if the Commonwealth had taken more preparedness steps once the crisis hit in 2020. As the Royal Commission report pointed out, it did not develop an appropriate COVID plan or ensure infection protocols. And nor were there measures in place to monitor what was happening on the ground and liaising with the state government. But maybe when we're talking about COVID, aside from the tragic death toll, it's important to also raise that residents as a whole in the aged care system were affected as a lot of the facilities closed down or closed off visitors and meant that a lot of residents were imprisoned essentially in their rooms for months on end, which really undermined old Australians' right to freedom of movement and autonomy. And although, of course, protecting the community is important, there wasn't enough effort put into ensuring that older Australians' rights were also balanced um, and innovative solutions found to ensure that they could still have some quality of life. Thanks, Annika. And it certainly is tragic what has happened in aged care and those deaths in aged care. One thing I think you touch on, which is really important in the report, is that Australia's aged care system is a reflection of societal attitudes towards older people. And it's often perceived as somewhere you put older people before they die. Even the Prime Minister referred to it as pre-palliative care. How do we shift this out-of-sight, out-of-mind attitude? Yes, we call this attitude out as ageism. So ageism is the discrimination of people on the basis of their age. And and ageism is one of the isms that isn't really talked about much, uh, nor is it often discussed in the context of aged care. So ageism is perpetuated by the dominant myth that older people are inevitably dependent and are no longer able to, to contribute usefully to society. Our aged care system is underpinned by these views. So we think this is not only reflected in the chronic underinvestment in the system, but also in the types of services it supports, with a high reliance on institutionalisation, low amount of rehabilitative or reablement care practices, and also an underinvestment in, in social programs to enhance participation of old people in the community. It's also seen in some of our language. So we use the word care, which is implicitly paternalistic rather than words like support, which is more empowering. So turning this around really involves a wider recognition that older Australians have rights. So we think a key way to shift societal thinking about older Australians, which we we all will be also one day, is to design an aged care system that emphasises older Australians' rights and empowers them to live meaningful lives. And we think the best way to do this is to use a rights-based approach to aged care. Now, it seems like a huge task, reforming aged care. And you have another report coming out this year, which will go into more specific details on what the system should look like. But where do we start? Yes. So the main point of our report is to say, before we start designing a better system for aged care, we need to go back to first principles and ask, What is aged care and support for? What outcomes are we trying to achieve? And we need to go to these underlying questions. 
and build a framework answering these before we come up with any practical uh, reform solutions. And it's an important time to be thinking about this as well with the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety currently designing a the reform for the system. The final report is due to be released in February next year. So we're really calling on the Royal Commission to think about these underlying questions. And we propose that the underlying framework should be a rights-based framework. So this means that the rights of older Australians sit at the heart of the system to ensure that their interests are put first before the interests or providers or the whim of the government of the day. Rights thinking really comes from international law, such as the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But older people are particularly vulnerable to having their rights just respected. We think it's important that these rights are emphasised so that the system's more in favour of their interests. We came up with this idea of rights by looking at other rights movements um, that have existed for other vulnerable communities. So, for example, uh, the disability sector has had a strong rights movement for a long time, and that resulted in the NDIS also having a rights-based framework at the centre of it. This means that people with disability are empowered to get the support that they need. So, Annika, this sounds like something everyone should support, rights for older people, and we'll get into a few of your specific rights recommendations in a second. But it all seems like this might be much harder to implement in practice because we can all support this, but how do we go about doing it? Has anyone else or have any other countries gone before us and implemented a rights-based approach to aged care? Yes, thinking about rights, how rights should play out in practice is really important because it's they can't just remain as lofty ideals. So right now, Australia has a charter of aged care rights and the aged care system, but they just sit separate to the system and don't really have any real teeth. So a key part of a rights-based framework is not only articulating what those rights are, but actually making sure that they inform the whole system design and also the uh, service delivery. Internationally, there has been a growing movement to specifically support the rights of older people. Um, There's no actual international convention specifically on the rights of older people, but there is a UN instrument that sets out rights-based principles for older persons. And then also in 2012, there was an international plan of action, also signed by Australia, which articulates an international commitment to the realisation of rights for older people. Uh, This has particularly been taken up in Europe where there's a stronger um, focus on supporting human rights in aged care. So there's uh, the European Commission commissioned a Charter of Rights for Older People uh, in long-term care and also enshrines the right of older people in their Charter of Rights. But there's still a long way to go internationally. Uh, Countries like Canada, for example, have a Charter of Rights similar to how we currently do, but there aren't enough examples of where they're really uh, implemented legislatively through the whole system. Some examples of where they're uh, taken up in practice are seen in Europe. So, for example, in Germany, residential facilities use a rights-based model of care that really focuses on the relationship between carers and the residents. In Belgium, their uh, rights are emphasised through personal care planning. So that means that the person is empowered to and have agency to drive the care and support that fulfils their needs and wishes. In Hungary, there is an emphasis on having advocates, so independent people who support older people to understand their rights and they can help them assert their rights by following up with complaints and things like that. 
And in the UK, providers are incorporating rights-based principles into their governance standards. So there's some examples of the way that rights are implemented um, practically, but they also need to be implemented on a more legislative policy side as well. And for that, we looked more um, at home. Uh, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, as I mentioned earlier, is an example of where rights are kind of are put at the heart of the system before the practical design is formulated. And I think the thing to note is that just because it hasn't been done that much internationally um, doesn't mean we can't lead the way in this. I think Australia has is positioned well to be at the forefront of this and really improve rights for older Australians. I want to go now to your report and look at those five key rights-based principles that should shape the system. Um, please take us through those. So there are a number of rights that are really important in the context of aged care and I wish I could go through all of the many different rights that are important but um, we wanted to focus down on some key ones that we thought and particularly important in the context of aged care and um, drew on some of the key kind of international rights uh, such as the UN principles that I mentioned earlier as well as rights that are in the NDIS system to show to use an example of where they've really been practically applied. The first starting point is really to think about people as having, all people as having equal rights, but we're emphasising the rights that uh, should be protected for older people. The first principle is independence, self-fulfilment and participation in the community. So this essentially says that older Australians have the same right to realise their potential, engage in the community and direct their own lives. And so that means in the context of aged care, we should be providing them with the support to be empowered to continue engaging in the community rather than just seeing them as a, on a decline. The second principle is informed and supported choice and control. So this really reflects the right around autonomy uh, so that people can make decisions for themselves. The language of choice of control is also seen uh, in the NDAIS, uh, which really acknowledges that an older person should be able to direct the care and support that they get. Um, of course, there's been implementation problems with the NDIS, so a key thing here to acknowledge is that informed Choice and control is pointless if you're not supported and informed about the services that are available and have options available as well. That's also an important element that can't be forgotten. The third principle is universal access to reasonable and necessary supports. This principle says that all older Australians are entitled to the care and support they need. So it draws a little bit off the principle of universality under Medicare. And the fourth principle is equity and non-discrimination. So the aged care system must not discriminate uh, and equal access should be extended to all groups, including minority and account for people with special needs. And lastly, the fifth principle that we've emphasised is dignity and dig dignity in death. So all older people who need long-term support have the same right to respect for their worth and dignity, to live free from abuse and neglect and exploitation. And we've extended this to dignity in death because it's important that in the aged care context, a lot of people die while receiving aged care support. 
it's important to emphasize that there's there can be relieved symptom distress and meaningful relationships at the end of someone's life. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important one to to note as well. I really love this quote from the report that rights will float in a void unless support systems make them real. In light of the testimonies at the Royal Commission, how do we improve accountability through the aged care system so that these things don't happen again? Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, talking about choice and control, it's important that rights don't just aren't just articulated and sit there as an aspirational goal. They need to be underpinned by a strong network of support and accountability system. So accountability is actually a key part of a rights-based approach. People, when talking about rights, easily fall into this trap of seeing rights holders as kind of self-sufficient and able to assert their rights. But when we're thinking about aged care, we're talking about really vulnerable people, many of whom have dementia, and we can't just place the burden on them to assert their rights and make complaints. This is shown to be ineffective. So we think a really properly accountable service system should ensure broader structures are in place to protect people's rights. We propose that in the overhaul of of the aged care system, there needs to be a new aged care act that enshrines rights into both the objects and the body of the legislation to ensure that all actions and decisions are in accordance with the rights-based principles and outcomes. This means rights-based principles should be incorporated into practice standards and accreditation requirements for providers and also place obligations on individuals in the system, including carers and care managers. And then coupled with this, you need ongoing transparency and monitoring and uh, regular public reporting of compliance against these rights-based standards. And so in our report, we call for the Royal Commission to recommend a rights-based approach to aged care. We're concerned that they're not giving enough attention to the issue of rights and thinking about the underlying framework of the system. And if they recommend reforms, they cannot just be mere further band-aids onto a broken system. We're also following up this report with another report on aged care, which will also look more closely at how rights can impact um, the policy design of the system, and that will also make further recommendations to the Royal Commission. Thank you, Annika. And I am certainly looking forward to seeing your report later this year on how that can be practically implemented. And thank you again for reminding us how important the rights of all Australians are, including our oldest Australians. Um, They often say that a society is only as good as how we treat its most vulnerable members. And it's a keen reminder that all Australians' rights are important, and especially those who are very vulnerable. You can read her report on aged care on our website at grattan.edu.au and join the ongoing discussion on Twitter at Grattan Inst and on social media at Grattan Institute. To all our listeners, please take care and thank you very much for listening. <music>